You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Welcome to your Red. My name is Matt Davis, hosting as normal, and we're here to discuss Steve Cooper's first game in charge and what happens next after the 1-1 draw with Millwall. Uh, joined today by, uh, first of all, Reds fan Mikey Clark returning to the show. Mikey, good morning. You well? Good morning, Matt. Yes, I'm great. How are you? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. And uh, I think he's making his debut on the show. He says he is. I think he's been <laughs> on before. But uh, joining us today is former Radio Nottingham presenter Robin Chipperfield. Chippers, on the other side of the world, are you well? Yes, I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I'm sure it is the debut. I can't... I, I mean, Matt, I wouldn't forget appearing on YouTube or a podcast with you, so I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the... Well, I was going to say debut, or as they say over here, it's the big debut. <laughs> big debut, they do, don't the they? The debut, actually. yeah. Yes, true, true. Uh, how is it on the other side of the world? People will be interested to know how you're getting on. Yeah, good. Yeah, really uh, not regretted it so far. Um, there's there's nothing, uh, apart from friends and family, there's nothing I, I would miss, really. Um, you know, it's uh, settled in really well. Always wanted to live here, so uh, I've been here lots of times on holiday, so it was there, there weren't too many surprises, but uh, yeah, no, no regrets so far. Do you miss match day? I mean, I know you covered, I saw you commentated on a test match, which is obviously fantastic, and you've been doing yeah. you know, football over there. Um, but do you miss the, the the buzz of match day in Nottingham or not? I think I've got. I think I'd probably miss it more now um, than say the last eighteen months. You know, I've I've watched a few, quite a few games, and it, it's just when there's nobody there, it, it's not the same. And it's um, you know, the Premier League I found it incredibly dull last year. I I didn't care who won it. I didn't care who won games because it just it felt like watching reserve games on video. It was it was dreadful to watch. Um, so I kind of, in that sense, I've not missed the last 18 months. Um, I think it'd be different now with with um, with crowds being back, there being an atmosphere, and especially the last couple of weeks where there's a, a bit more of a buzz about the city ground from the impression I get, um, you know, a new kind of fresh start, new start. But look, I did, it, I did it for 20 years and, you know, time to do something different and, you know, explore doing different things. So, I mean, to be fair, changing manager and feeling a, the you know having the feelings about a new manager is not something I've missed. You know it's not it's not been a big shock that Forrest changed their manager because I don't know how many I got through in twenty years, but it would be at least twenty, I would think. Well, yeah, you've got enough to talk about, and I know you're doing stuff on YouTube again now, to discussing your time in Nottingham. And we'll talk about that at the end. We'll let you do your shameless plug. Don't worry about that. Something <laughs> on the Graham Norton show, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, celebrities <laughs> as you are only come on these things to plug something they've got to sell. So yeah, we'll do that later. Um, looking at the game first of all, then Mikey, it was Cooper's um, first game in charge. You were there. Just give us your overall verdict on on the, the match. Was it a fair result? Do you think? Oh, absolutely, yeah, fair result. Do, do you know what? I, I quite enjoyed it. I think um, what Chippers was just saying there around how football's been in the last sort of 18 months, I think I think this is the first game I've been to for about two years that I sort of genuinely enjoyed. And I don't know whether that was because, uh, you know, Cooper arriving, there's a bit more of an optimistic feel around the ground. And, and you did feel that even when we went 1-0 down. Um, I think 1-0 down... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, they would have got booed off. I didn't hear a single boo at half-time. 
And I think that was because people were just intrigued just to see how we'd respond um, with a bit of new leadership. I think in general, the game, I, I did enjoy it. It was exactly how I thought it would be. Um, I think the game before the first lockdown, uh, sorry, the last game before we initially went into lockdown was Millwall, I seem to remember, and we got absolutely thumped. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, you know what to expect from Millwall. They're not, they're not going to blind you with science or he's not going to be ticky-tacker Barcelona. Um, I think there was one point in the first half where they had a free kick on the halfway line and both the centre-backs went up front and they just lumped it. And I quite enjoyed that because I'm a bit, I'm a bit old school, and, and it, 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 you know our three centre backs in the main coped with it okay. Um, so I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed what they brought to the table. It was exactly what I thought was going to happen, and I enjoyed our response. Um, some parts of it, anyway. We struggled when Graben went off. I know we're going to talk about this in a bit, Matt. Um, we probably need to look at what we're going to do as a team. Uh, when Graben's not when Graben's not in in there, um, there are options other than maybe what we showed. I think a draw was the fair result. We played some half decent stuff. Um, I wasn't surprised with the starting lineup. You know, it was always going to be the same team because if it went wrong, Steve could have said, "Well, look, you know, I kept the same team that did brilliantly well the week before at Huddersfield." Um, it didn't go wrong. We got a point. We've got to start somewhere. It's going to take a bit of time to sort of turn us around. I wasn't expecting us to, you know, play like we did maybe a few seasons ago, you know, fast, fluid, attacking football. I think that will come in time. Um, but in general, I was I was not surprised. I was pleasantly sort of enthused by it. I thought the reception that Cooper got, you know, it was never going to be a Stuart Pearce homecoming, of course. Um, but it was, um, you know, generally really really positive um and i think a draw was the right result and i'm I'm more interested to see i think there's an international break coming up matt um another one we seem to have one every week um so once he's had once steve's had a bit of time to work with the guys maybe trying to implement some of his own methods i think he might see a bit of a shift from that point i don't think you're ever going to see it on on uh on saturday but i was encouraged that we we came back and we held on for a point because let's be honest a couple of weeks ago we would have lost that probably to a, a knockdown from a from a header um but yeah in general matt fair result i was quite enthused with what i saw uh, and it's all about the next few weeks i think trying to get that understanding of, of what cooper's going to bring to the table hopefully we, we might see a bit more sort of front foot football uh, rather than what we've kind of seen in, in the past but yeah I, I, was, I was pretty happy matt good we can end this bit out. Can you hear my hoover going off outside? No. Good. Okay, I'll get this editing out. The cleaner's here. She's <laughs> hoovering really loudly outside. The cleaner's here. Cleaner. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Dear God. <laughs> Actually, I might not edit this out because then you two can scoff at me. <laughs> um, we'll just crack on then. So, Mikey talks there, Chippers, about you know the atmosphere and the reception and everything. I mean, like we've touched on, Forest have had so many managers and Cooper's like the 19th, I think, since the Premier League era. In the builds, the game, fans are like, oh, he's saying the right stuff. Can he walk the walk? Can he talk the talk? I mean, generally, do you think the club gets a bit jaded and fans get a bit tired of the turnover and it becomes hard to get re-motivated for another era? I say era because era is a long time by default, but with Forest managers, it's not. I mean, do you think the club just gets a bit tired of it all? I think a lot of supporters do, yeah. I think, but then the thing is, if 
you know, if the worst happens and Cooper loses his first four games, those same fans who are tired of the change of manager will call for a change of manager. It's just the way football is these days. And it's, you know, it's one of the things I got really tired of is, you know, and I mentioned this on Twitter probably, um, I'm guessing two months ago when Hute was still in charge about whether, you know, who was the last manager that Forrest had who went through a difficult spell. And when we say difficult spell, it might be six matches without a win and came through the other side of it, you know, managed to turn it around in inverted commas because, you know, most managers go through a, a phase where they don't win for, for six games. And it's not, you know, it's not just Forrest. I saw this morning um, when I woke up, one of the headlines on the BBC Sport website was uh, how Mikel Arteta is, um, is the new Arsene Wenger. And I, you know, he may turn out to be good luck to him. I don't know, I don't know him at all. But two or three weeks ago, he was, you know, they were bottom of the table when he was for the chop. And, you know, nobody's got any patience anymore. And nobody has any, any, any thought about the medium term, let alone the long term. And that's, you know, in the last couple of years, that, that really kind of, that got to me covering Forest and generally in, in football itself, you know, you know give somebody a, a chance, you know, if, if, Steve Cooper struggles this season, then give him next season. Um, you know, and I, I can imagine that by Christmas, if Forrester's still in the bottom three, there'll be some supporters who are calling for him to go. Uh, it just it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And I just think, you know, the majority of fans realise that now. But I still think there's a section that, you know, if they lose a game, the manager has to go. And you don't get anywhere fast doing that. Uh, which managers uh, do you think Forrest pulled the trigger on too soon or was there any that you thought that, you know or it, actually it was right to get rid of them I mean fans would say and I would say Hewson was right to get rid of Hewson it was an absolute disaster yeah. thing. what about in your experience when you were here do you think oh they've made a rick there any you would have stuck with O'Driscoll um, to start with because I felt they were really onto something there um, and that felt like the slow building of a club had started um, and you know Everybody realised it was going to take time, and then bang, he was suddenly gone. Um, paradoxically, there were other managers who, six weeks in, you thought, mm, "This isn't going to work." Steve McLaren, for example, that that just it it didn't feel right. Um, and strangely, uh, that felt the right thing that needed to happen because it just wasn't going to work. Now it might be. I'm arguing against myself here. It might be six months in that he'd suddenly pick up results, but all the things you were hearing was uh, was just like, no, this needs to change because it's it's not it's just not working. Uh, oh. Quickly that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm. Um, who else? Uh, well, Karanka went, I think, too early. Um, but there was obviously a breakdown in communication. There, were, you know, I think there were things that happen off the pitch that that you don't know about necessarily, or you don't know all the details about. And um, you know, on the face of it, Forrest should have stuck with Karanka. But obviously, there was a breakdown in communications or breakdown in the relationship off the pitch, which seemed to make his position untenable by the end of it. But football-wise, you know, in what he was building and where Forrest were going, it felt like it was right to stick with him. Um, mm. There are quite a few I might have stuck with a bit bit longer. Um, uh, even the likes of Mark Warburton, somebody I didn't massively get on with at all. But And I realised at the time, just after Christmas, he was 
They were really struggling, Forrest. But I might have just given him two or three weeks more. There's, there's no patience to get through that spell of, of dodgy results. And I always think just, I even thought with Hewton, two or three more weeks. Um, this was around the time of, you know, if he loses the derby match, he's going. And at that time, I'm thinking, well, I'd probably give him to the next international break because of his CV. Um, you know, that suggests that he is a good manager and he, he knows what he's doing. He's got the experience to fall back on. Now, you know, you're obviously much closer to it than I am these days, but um, it felt like in the end it, it, it wasn't going to work, so he had to go. But there, there have been quite a few where I've thought another two or three games, another two or three weeks, just, you know, just to see if it works. Um, mm-hmm. It might not have done, but for some of them, I, I felt they deserved that opportunity. Warburton was one, Karanka another. What Chip has said there about O'Driscoll was interesting, Mikey, about the start of building a club. And I'm kind of hoping that that's where Forrest are now with Cooper and Dane Murphy and, you know, joined up thinking finally. Cooper spoke about the academy and the importance of that. What was your take on Cooper's appointment? I mean, I don't think, I think you were more of a wilder man initially, but do you see the the logic and the long-term hope here, if anything's long-term with Forrest? I do, yeah. I mean, I've been had a bit of time to sort of digest it and, and, and understand the sort of thinking behind it. It does make a lot of sense. I think Chip has made a great point there, uh, and, and you know, you, you touched on it, Matt, around um, uh, O'Driscoll. And I think we're all at that game when we beat Leeds. Was it four two? And then they pulled the trigger with him one point outside, you know, the playoffs. I've never really understood that, and it does feel like there's sort of similar traits here. Um, you know, people talk about sort of chasing the golden ticket and getting into the Premier League. And I could kind of understand lack of patience at clubs if we were one of those yo-yo clubs. You know, something like a, a West Brom, for example. Uh, you, you know, they're up one season, then down, then up, then down. They know they can do it. They have a track record of doing it in the last 20 years. So it almost feels as if when they think it needs freshening up, logic tells you that they've made correct decisions because it's kind of got them up the decisions they make maybe when they're in the Premier League need, need looking out like big Sam people like that um, but I could kind of understand that but with Forrest we've been out the top flight for over two decades so chopping and changing even now just feels bizarre we're not close to it at all in fact I think if you if you would poll any football fan not even Forest fans and say what's Forrest's next realistic move is it up or down? Be interesting to see that because not even looking at the table, you know, the last other than that one season under Sabri where we we found a formula to sort of hit teams on the counter attack, even at home, we've pretty much struggled. You know, we nearly went down under under Warburton that time. You know, we really struggled last season. We're in the bottom three again this season. So, is the next logical step for us down? I don't know. So, it kind of all goes back to the thinking of. What we've tried in the last twenty years hasn't worked. So Chippers is right. We've got to we've got to stick with somebody. We've got to understand a bit of end to end thinking. Get the right man in place. And you touched on it there, Matt. Is it Cooper? I think it probably is. You know, because I think with all the people that were available, and yes, you're right. I was championing Chris Wilder because I think he is a man manager who gets the best out of the teams. I loved watching. Shouldn't say this being a Forest fan, but I did enjoy. Should I say watching the Sheffield United team play? Uh, when they went up that season and the first season in the Premier League they took a lot of teams by surprise 
it was quite innovative thinking with his overlapping centre-backs. Um, enjoyed that. And I thought he could have bought something similar to Forrest. I'm not sure I'd ever want to see Figueredo overlapping, but you, you get what I'm saying. I'm sure he could have come up with something um, a bit innovative. But I guess if we're going to stick with somebody beyond the season, beyond two seasons, beyond three seasons either, it's got to be somebody that aligns with the thinking that underpins everything we're trying to do. So we've got a new CEO. We're trying to build a lot of young players. We're trying to be a bit more of a sustainable club. Um, I think somebody asked me the other day, what was the last player we we bought and then sold for a profit? And I was really struggling to think of it. I don't even know if I've got the answer. But that tells you everything you need to know. We can't keep relying on wonderful academy kits coming through and then selling them to fund what was an ineffective transfer strategy. And I think Dave Murphy and his team realised that. So if they want Steve Cooper and Steve Cooper's his man, you've got to you've got to support it. And I think the vast majority of I was going to say intelligent Forest fans, that's, that's pretty harsh. I think the vast majority of people that kind of see beyond what they see ninety minutes on a football pitch will hopefully understand that this is part of fingers crossed some long term thinking from Forest. The first time in probably since O'Driscoll. So yeah, I think he's the right man, Matt. I think you've got to trust him. I completely endorse what Chippers has said. If we're struggling around Christmas, there's no point going back to square one because it's not worked in 22, 23 years. So I think it should be here for the long term uh, and we all need to sort of get behind him, I think. Was it a sombre longer, Chippers? Last player for a soul for a profit? Or Antonio? Are we going back I was going to say Antonio was, was my guess. I can't think of anybody since then. Antonio, they bought for about a million, didn't they, and sold for... Six, seven, memory yeah. serves, seven, yeah. whatever. Not many, though, is there? There's not many. No, there's not many, no. No. Um, mm. And Asamba Longa, they bought for five and a bit mm. and sold for 13, memory serves. Mm. I mean, there have obviously been academy players that have um, moved on pretty much each each summer, but obviously they've not bought them to start with. I think it's a really interesting point that, you know, that I remember the Antonio thing was like, people were really upset about it. But actually, in a sense, it shows a club is working in the sense that they bought a player, you know, a million pounds is still a lot of money, but they bought a player relatively cheap. They've developed him. They've made him a better player under good management, under good motivation, and they've sold him at a profit. You know, you look at Brentford. Brentford do that every, well, maybe not anymore, but Brentford have done that every year. You think of the players that Brentford have sold for loads of money. Um, your Scott Hogan's, um, people like that, that you know you, you easily forget about. Players leave Brentford for a lot of money, extraordinary amount of money a lot of the time. And many of them, that's it. They don't do much else because they're in that Brentford system and they, they fit the Brentford system. They catch the eyes of bigger clubs. They sell them for a load of money. And it just feeds the system. And I, I would imagine, I haven't looked at it, but I would imagine Brentford make a, a very handy profit every year. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's what Forest have to become, isn't it? I mean, you know, Brentford sold, yeah. like you say, Watkins, Ben Rama, players like that for 20 odd million quid. And Forest, you don't want to say you're There's a developer. Well. Um, you know, most people won't have heard of him. Mepham that went to uh, Bournemouth for, I think, 15 million pounds. Yeah. Well, I mean, it might have been 20. You know, every year there was somebody who went. And they just went, right, we know exactly how to replace it. 
Yeah. And in the end, you get to the Premier League, ideally, if you're Brentford, don't you? Yeah. Now Brentford don't have yeah. to sell players. And if they do sell Ivan Tony, it's going to be for 50 million quid instead of... Absolutely, yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the way Forrest are trying to go, isn't it, Mikey? With Dane Murphy, you know, the policy of signing players under 26 now, it's, it, it makes sense. Fans might not like it because they don't want to be lower down the food chain, but that's the modern football food chain as it is, isn't it? Yeah, I totally agree. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think... I think what we need to be sort of mindful of as well is not every uh, addition is going to work or hit the ground running. So I'll give you an example of this Paraguayan guy that I can't pronounce his name. Is it a Jada or something that we've got? He could be the next biggest thing since sliced bread, you don't know. Or he could really struggle to settle in and he could disappear like a lot of players disappear. But again, like I said before, the thought process, as you touched on there, that. That's what we need to be doing, you know, buying players for uh, that have a, a, a potentially a higher ceiling than what we'd had before. Uh, can we improve them? Have we got the right coach to improve um, players now? I'd argue we probably have. We maybe didn't a few weeks ago. Um, and I think that's the thinking that needs to go on. But this isn't just a, a, a one or two month thing. This isn't a one or two transfer window thing. This, this needs to go on continuously for a number of years until we sort of turn that tanker and we start going in the right direction. And I think it's it's the right thing to do. We need to cut our cloth accordingly, understand the food chain, which I think they do. You know, far brighter people than me were there, I'm sure. So um, if if we can see it, I'm sure they can as well. Uh, you know, we've got an owner that pumps in a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, and we are in some ways lucky to have somebody like that. If you look what's going off up the road, in A52 at the moment, um, that could be us. It isn't, thankfully. But there'll there'll come a time where um, there'll come a time where you won't want to put all that money in, and you want to see some returns on investment. So whether that is a more successful football team that is playing in the higher echelons of, of the country, or whether that's just a sustainable model, like Chippers was saying, you know, that that does a relatively solid turnover, and you know, isn't forced to sell the best young players all the time just to be able to sort of cut even and I think that's where we need to go to but this is like I said this is a long-term thing this won't this won't happen in in five minutes and you might not see it on the pitch for a while yet either because players will need time to bed in and to try and understand what Cooper wants to do as we all want <laughs> want to understand that as well but I think it's an it's an exciting time for Forrest I think I'd rather us do this and build slowly and everybody buy into what we're trying to do as a football club that are, you know, representing our city than to just sort of chuck the dice up in the air, hope it lands on double six, which is kind of what we've been doing for the last 20 years. Sometimes it lands on a six and a five and you get Lamucci that gets really close or sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> the majority of the times it doesn't. So I'm, I'm really enthused by what we're doing that, I think. One of the, things you said right at the start was you actually enjoyed the game for the first time in two years and Cooper was at great pains Mikey to say on Thursday during his press conference about the style of football and the identity and how he wants to play uh, I think he's picked up or he's been briefed on the kind of misgivings about people around the style of play coming into the club well, what was it like on Saturday did you sense some kind of plan and some kind of entertainment factor coming in down the line Oh, I don't want to be overly critical. I don't know. I think it was too early. And I think a lot of that was down to the opposition. You know, I mentioned at the start, five minutes gone, the lump in the centre-backs forward and chucking it in there. You have to deal with that. And, and it's that's tough. 
And I think every time Ryan Leonard got a throw in down the right-hand side near me, again, same thing happened. Long throws into the box, Matt Smith was winning everything. So it, it took us a while just to try and get the ball on the floor and try and pass it. And when we did, Grabbin had a great chance to score, which was you know saved. And then obviously they take the lead and, and we come back. But it was just one of them games where you knew what it was going to be. It was going to be a battle. It was going to be hard. There were sort of five or ten minute periods where... Um, it became a bit of a basketball match, which I think kind of suited us because the ball was on the floor. Johnson was getting more of the ball, turning and running on the half turn. Every time it went stop-start, it suited Millwall because they take a breather. Their team is absolutely massive. I don't think there was a player under six foot three. Um, and they, you know, a, a bitty stop-start game really suited them. So I think it was a bit too early to tell for Cooper. I think you'll see more, I believe, of what he's trying to bring to the team when we play teams that are a little bit less uh, rugged, should I say. I think uh, David Putnam was on here a couple of weeks ago, Matt, and he, he was talking about um, Barnsley being a assault on the senses last season. And that's what Millwall were on Saturday. And I enjoyed it because I don't see that every week. <laughs> and it's it's a bit old school. And I enjoyed the way we dealt with it in the main. Um and the point was a fair result, but I think it's too early to tell Matt that you know you've got to you've got to you've got to stick with him, give him time, international break, and then hopefully you'll see what he's trying to do. And whether he stays straight at the back, that's an interesting one. Because our, our, our squad would suggest that that might work with our two new sort of fresh young wing backs, and it gives us that extra defender in midfield uh, at the back, sorry, um, to deal with, you know crosses whereas you know we were, we were shipping in goals earlier in the season so I suspect he might stick with it for a little bit the formation um, I know he sort of flicked between that and a back four at Swansea um, but again once he gets to know the players I'm sure he'll uh, you know stick to a sort of favoured formation but I'd be tempted to stick with a back three because I think we've done all right Matt. It's interesting hearing him talk so much about an identity and a style of play I mean Chip, as you've seen Forrest in person more than I have in games in the last 20 years, but obviously I've watched games as well. I'm trying to think how many Forest teams were uh, even likeable, if that's the right word. I don't know, enjoyable. It's not, you know, Forest seems to think they have this Forest way of playing, but I'm not really sure they, ha- they have always been that good a team to watch. How many teams can you think of that you, were, you, know, you actually liked watching in your time? Um, Paul Hart's team was the best team I saw in terms of results and um the football they played um billy davis first time round was excellent at home really really good to watch at home but had its moments away from home where it wasn't afraid to mix it up and could be quite defensive away from home um in that first spell successful in doing it but um would do things away from home that you wouldn't necessarily want the forest side to do particularly at home but away from home, they were resolute, they were gritty, um, they showed nous, to use a phrase, there was plenty of game management uh, away from home. But they were brilliant to watch at home, fantastic to, to watch at home. Um, I thought O'Driscoll's sides were, were good to watch generally away from home. They were kind of nicely naive. They were a little bit open at times, but it was it was good to watch. Um, I think they've been, you know, they've been good sides to watch. There's just an expectation i think at home that forest don't defend for their lives necessarily that they they play on the front foot again to use another cliche but they 
they press high and they put opposition under pressure and they'll try and win two or three nil. Um, I think that's the expectation. You know, some managers have come in and you thought, oh, I'm not sure their football would suit Forrest. Um, Gary Megson is one of those. Joe Kinnear was another one of those where you think, well, that's an odd appointment because that doesn't fit the style. and It's completely different to what had been happening before. If you remember, Joe Kinnear came in after Paul Hart. Now, they're just polar opposites in terms of the way they play the game. Um, uh, and then it, it was Gary Megson afterwards, and that was very different in terms of his management style to Joe Kinnear, who was very laid back um, beforehand. So, um, But in terms of football, they just Forest fans just want to see the team go for it, I think. Um, they don't like dour defensive football. And that was the criticism of, of Lamushi, even though he was winning games. You know, still got plenty of criticism of him for being dour and boring. And I was thinking, well, it might, it might be, you know, not overly attacking at the moment, but it is winning. Um, so be grateful for that. And as it turned out, um, I was kind of correcting that because sooner or later that, that um, became undermined and, you know, the spiral began. Yeah, Gary Bertels used to keep saying to me that they're lucky to be where they are and this isn't it's not gonna last. It was interesting. I wasn't sure at the time, but he was certainly proved right. Um mm. I mean, do you think Mikey Cooper starts from quite an advantageous position in terms of entertainment? Because it was so devoid <laughs> under Hewton and to and, and league position as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Forest fans will be happy to see the ball pass on the floor five yards now, won't they? But well, it wasn't you know, a controversial departure, was it? That You know, if you ask Forest fans, you tell me, but I would think that 85 90% were in favour of a change. Um, so it wasn't as though there's there's somebody to pine after that's gone. Um, you know, I don't think Forest fans are in that position. They, the, major, the vast majority would think it was time to make a change. So, it, therefore, Cooper has, you know, if you compare that to, say, after Karanka had gone where there wasn't that feeling of there needs to be a change, but there was a change. I think it's a completely different atmosphere and therefore Cooper starts in a much better place. Mm. I think Cooper might be a bit like Billy Davis, Mikey, in that first spell. Go for it at home, be resolute away from what I've heard about him. I hope so. Um, Yeah, I hope you're both right. I think think you're right, Chippers. I I was struggling to talk to anybody that thought that that was a wrong decision in terms of making that managerial change a few weeks ago. and yes, I guess when you starting from such a sort of low low ceiling, the only way is up. But you know, never say things can't get worse because they can. But I think you're right, Matt. I think it's just the small things that might go a long way. So you know, rather than whacking the ball down the channel, which we have been doing pretty much all season, trying to pass it into midfield, perhaps trying to get it out wide, overlapping some of the stuff that I haven't seen. I saw a bit of on Saturday. So I think you're right, you know, and it, it will take, like I said before, it's going to take a little bit of time, but I'm really hoping that uh, that we do play a bit more, as Chipper said, front foot football. I, I kind of hop back to a cup game, and I think it was the first time I came on here, Matt. It was after we got stuffed 5-1 at Swansea. You remember that game? Oh, that was disgraceful, that performance. Yeah. yeah, and I wasn't very happy, and I had a rant for 10 minutes. Um, but do you know what? It's kind of flipped now. Because that was Cooper's, I wouldn't say reserve side, but you could see what he was trying to do. It filtered all the way through to his squad players. So the guys that came in, I think they made sort of six, seven, eight changes. They all still played in the same way. So crosses into the box. You know, I think we got the ball wide one point and there was literally one person in the box. They got it wide and there was five or six. So he was there for a couple of years. And I think 
it showed on Swansea sort of the way they play. Uh, certainly at home, uh, keep keep the ball possession. Don't be afraid to you know get players in the box. I'd just like to see a bit of that to be honest, because. But also Swansea, Mike, Swansea have played that way largely with, with some tinkering. They've played that way for 15 years. You know, if you go right back to the Brendan Rodgers era, um, Paolo Sosa, other managers they've had, they've all, all those managers or head coaches have had to come in to fit the Swansea system. And it's 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 what Forest haven't done. They've gone from chopped and changed from one methodology to the other. And therefore you end up with different players that suit different styles. The Swansea way has worked because they've had managers that have done the same thing, who've bought players who all do the same thing, who have a reserve side that does exactly the same thing. It's it's not rocket surgery. It's not. You're absolutely right. And, you know, whatever happens with, with Cooper, whether he's here for six months or six years, I'd like to see that imprint on Forest. So when Cooper does leave, and basically all managers get sacked, don't they, even the great ones, when he does leave, his imprint of what we're trying to do um, needs to be uh, sustained within Forest. So like you said, the next person needs to come in and, and, and do the same thing rather than having a mismatch of, of sort of styles and, and ways of playing. So I'm, I am I'm more positive than I was, Matt, because, you know, I was kind of championing Wilder, but I get the thought process behind it. And if he's Dane's man, um, I thought his, his, his media comments the other week were interesting, um, but in a positive way. I think the proof will be in the pudding. And I think when we watch uh, the team for the next couple of months, I, I really, I would really like to think that we will play a bit more sort of progressive football, even if that's sort of three at the back, because that doesn't have to be a defensive formation. I mean, you look at Sheffield United the other year, like I said, you know, some of the best teams in the world play that formation and then still are able to overload those attacking areas. So if that's what we're going to do, uh, let's do it. So yes, I'm positive. Hope that's coming across a bit more than the year five one when we got stuff through the year. One of the things that they'll need to be successful, and pretty much any team needs to be successful, is a focal point, a number nine. And uh, unless you play a false nine and you're very, very good, which might be a suggestion for Forrest, but generally they need Graben or Taylor to do the business. I mean, Mikey Graben went off on Saturday, and I think it's fair to say that the consensus was Taylor struggles again. Do you see trouble ahead there if Graben's out for a while? Yeah, and I think um, I think this has been spoken about as well. One of the disappointments of the last transfer window was that we didn't strengthen in that area. I don't know much about Zande Silva. I, I believe he's more sort of a wide player that cuts inside rather than a, an out-and-out sort of number nine. Um, and the problem you've got here is is the same problem we had under Lamucci. You know, if Graben's not fit, what options do we have? So... You know, Lara Taylor came in on Saturday and, and struggled. I think um, what I'd like to see Lara do a little bit more of, if he's going to get given a chance of, of being in the team, if, if Graben's out for a sort of sustained period, um, rather than sort of pin himself up against the centre-backs, maybe try to run the channels a little bit, drop a bit deeper, as Graben does. Graben's quite fluid in that way. He's, he's quite comfortable as a number 10 too. Where I think Lyle does play as that target man. And because we we sort of, trying to get our confidence back and maybe sitting more on the back foot than we than we'd like to um he does get isolated so there were a few moans and groans during the game mainly from me <laughs> and a few people around us um 
I'm not sure that's the way forward, if I'm honest. I think if, if Graben's going to be out, I think we we need to try and do something a little bit different. So I know they've been um, trying Alex Martin in that sort of number 10 position. And Brennan Johnson has played up front before. So I'm wondering whether, certainly for, I think the next game's Birmingham away. And they're two centre-backs. Is it Harley Dean? Is it Morrison, the other one? Absolute massive units. I'd, I'd question why we'd need to play uh, Taylor, for example, if Graben's out, um, because he struggled against, I think it was uh, Ballard, and I can't remember who the centre-back was um, for Millwall. He struggled to win headers there, and I don't think he's going to get much change at Birmingham, to be honest. So I'm wondering whether we could use that as an opportunity to try something a little bit different, try sort of more quicker, nimbler players, which would, in turn, you'd think encourage us to keep the ball on the floor a little bit more because we don't necessarily have that big focal point up front. Um, you're hoping, Matt, that Graben's not out for a long period if it's just a week or two. But again, you're in the same position where you've only got Graben and I think that needs addressing in January. But this could be, and I prefer to be positive in times like this, this could be an opportunity for us to maybe try something different. And I think playing the three at the back gives us an opportunity to to, to do that. Uh, to have somebody dropping a little bit deeper from the front gives us that extra insurance at the back. So I think that's the way I'd go, Matt. I think I'd try something a little bit different and just have Taylor maybe as that option 10, 15 minutes to go if things really aren't working and we need to be a bit more direct. Yeah, Birmingham play three at the back and they, they had two defenders out on Saturday. So, yeah, I'd rather see maybe Johnson as a nine, as you say, and then two wingers around and do something a bit different. What did you make of Graben when you were here? Chippers, you must have interviewed him a few times. I find him an interesting character psychologically. I always think he wants to be the man and likes the the, the pressure or the focus to be on him. What did you, what did you find when you interviewed him? I quite liked him actually. He was kind of quite thoughtful um, as a person. I think he has to be, and I think I talk Karanka recognise this and and work this. I think he he has to be the main man, if you like, um, um, in in the team, and you know. Given his record um, before Forest and, and and also at Forest, well, I would imagine his record is pretty good in terms of goal scoring, uh, generally across his his Forest career. Um, I think he's earned the right to be to be certainly one of the main men, and he was certainly um, a main man under under Aitor Karanka. I always think in interviews he's got, I think he's quite bright, and I think he's got more to say. I think he he will be um, perhaps when he worries less about what he does say. Um, and you know, and I, most players are like this. They don't want to upset the opposition or wind up anybody. Or, but I think once he finishes his career, I think he'll be a really good pundit and a, and quite an intelligent pundit. And I think he seems to think about the game quite a bit. And um, I always feel he's got more to give in interviews than he than he does give, um, which is probably a sign of, of his kind of intelligence that he can actually rein himself back a bit. Um, and not go down avenues that he doesn't want to in, in, in interviews post-match. But yeah, I, I, I quite liked Lewis Graber to talk to. He was, a, as I say, an intelligent guy, thoughtful guy, um, and, and wasn't necessarily one of those that, that came up with the, the answers that you would expect to hear. Yeah, I think he's one of those players that needs an arm around his shoulder daily and being told you're brilliant yeah. and you're the man for us and probably not the other way, which is fine, because I'd be the same That's as well. A, it's the way you got me on, the, on here, isn't it? So. It works. <laughs> exactly. If anyone tells me I'm rubbish at anything, it just breaks me. So, yeah, don't blame Graben for that if that's the case. Um, another thing, and this was one you wanted to talk about, Mikey, around Forrest and how they play. 
obviously the strikers are key and the wing backs are key. And if you're going to push the wing backs on, you need two central midfielders that are going to offer some protection and some dominance of the ball. Forest didn't really have that against Millwall, did they? Is that is that a concern for your of yours? Yeah, it is. Dominance is a good word, actually. I think um, if we hop back to, and I know it was a different formation, hop back to say Uchi uh, times where we had big Samba Sow in there with uh, with Silver and Ben Watson. We used to bully a lot of teams, dominate dominate the centre of the park. Even if we didn't have the ball, you know, it was impenetrable. And I'd even hop back to say Billy Davison era under. Uh, we had uh, Paul McKenna in there and he used to just sort of hook the ball over his shoulder five, ten times a game. I didn't see that once on Saturday. It was too, it was too nice. Um, I think Millwall had, I think it was Kifton, Beld and uh, Savile in there and they just they just bullied them, if I'm being honest. There, there, were, there were times during the game where um, they were just being pushed around and, you know, Garner is a fantastic footballer and Yates is useful as well. It's just if you're going to play two of them, certainly in this system, and you don't have a Sam Bissell with them, or you don't have a Ben Watson or a Paul McKenna, there's times when they're going to get bullied. And I'm not just talking about Millwall, I'm certainly talking about away from home as well. So Birmingham game worries me, some of the characters they have in midfield. I think it's something we need to look at. You know, they are two essential, good, young, you know, players, certainly, you know, gone as a ball player. It's just getting that mix right. Um, I don't know what the answer is, certainly in the squad. I mean, a few people might be listening to this and say, you know, do we give Kafu a go in there? I'm not sure that's the answer, to be honest. I just think perhaps if we're going to play two in midfield, it's Garner and Yates a combination that can work successfully in, you know, the remaining sort of 40-odd games. Uh, that does worry me a little bit. It's just a little bit lightweight. Because even when Paul McKenna was in there, you know, a few years ago, um, he had legs around him. You know, he had a... Uh, Chris Cohen, Anderson, players like that, that, that even when we played a four, backed up to them. I, I don't necessarily see that at Forest, although the wing-backs have done fantastic. It's just an area of the pitch where it kept sort of breaking down for Forest and we were being not necessarily overrun by numbers, but just overrun by experience and know-how. Uh, and that would worry me a little bit. I guess one option could be, and I spoke about if Graben's out a little bit and playing Johnson a bit deeper or Mighton a bit deeper, and then making that a three in there, that's an option. But then again, that that gives, that takes away from sort of that last end of the pitch. So I'm not sure what the answer is. I'd just like to see in January as a look at addressing that with some experience, um, somebody quite powerful in there that can take a game by the scruff of the neck and, you know, give Millwall, for example, a bit back when, when they were sort of getting stuck into us. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's not a worry. It's just something which I think is is quite evident, especially when you play teams that are quite physical. Mm, they've got a Jada, but I think a Jada is another Garner. He looks like a ball sprayer rather than a, a a ball winner. There's so much emphasis on Yates to really come good, and I'm a big proponent of his and a big fan of his. But I think he probably does need to start kicking on this season and really bossing games. What do you make of Yates, Chippers? He seems to even yeah. When you were here, fans were divided on him, and it's ever more so the case now. He's another player who speaks well in interviews. What was your take on Ryan Yates when you were here? Yeah. Tell me one manager, I don't know, how many has he played under? Six, mm. I would think. Um, tell me one manager who's left him out for any spell. Yeah, well, there isn't one, is there? No. So, 
in the view of six different managers who know more about the game than I do, and I would suggest most people, they always pick him. Now, there must be a reason for that. You know, people, players have come in and players have left, uh, some of them pretty quickly. Um, but he generally plays. I mean, he played 40 games a season, I would I would estimate. Yeah, suspended for a couple of three. Um, every manager picks him. They know more about the game than I do, so I, I, I go with that. Mm, yeah, true, true. He's obviously trusted, isn't he? I mean, Darren Fletcher was on here saying that you could see when there was no crowds in that um, all the instructions went through Yates. He seems like someone you, you can rely on. You know what you're going to get from him, don't you, Mikey? And too many players Forrest have signed, they either you don't know what you're going to get from them or, frankly, you don't. they don't look like they care particularly. And I don't think Yates is in that bracket, is he? No, absolutely not. No, I, I, I like Ryan Yates. I think he's, he's a really good member of the squad. His attitude is fantastic by all accounts. Um, it's a bit like, say, this generation. So I know. Um, ben Osborne, same thing went with him. Shippers, every manager picked him because he... From what he gave to to the team and the squad and his attitude, probably more than anything. Um, how, I just think, how Forrest done since Osborne left? No, yeah, that, that, exactly, exactly. Um, I do think though, back under sort of Lamucci, for example, um, Thiago Silva. He was he's a big miss, by the way. I, you know, I still can't get over sort of selling him. Um, we used to make that a three in midfield, so they used to complement each other. Silva, Sal. Um, Ryan Yates, Ben Watson, whoever, there used to be sort of three in there. And now there's sort of only two. And I just thought on Saturday it was they got bullied a little bit. But I still think there's a place for him. I just need to um I'd like to see try and find a, a solution to that, maybe get him some help or some support. Um but I agree with you, Matt, as well. I think is Yates twenty four now, or have I just made that up? 20? Yeah, I think so. Twenty four, twenty five. So he's not he's not 1920s you know it, this could be the season that he kicks on and hopefully he'll make me my words a little bit and you know be that dominant force in the center of the park and allow garner and, and jada to be the sort of ball sprayers and hopefully mm. i'm completely wrong mm. he's 23 did him a disservice just googled him there so he's got a bit more time i suppose tyree's fawn is an interesting one i had high hopes for him but he seems to have drifted down as that kind of sambasa rangy player so we'll see what happens with him um just wanted to finish before we come on to your YouTube channel, Chippers. Mikey, give us, uh, and Chippers, your kind of hope and expectation for Forest for the rest of the season now they've got a new manager in. Are you, uh, are you optimistic? Greg Mitchell, of course, was optimistic about this season when he was on, but Mikey, how are you feeling? I'm not Greg. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, am, I am optimistic. I think um, the more I think about it, the more Cooper's appointment makes sense. And what I saw on Saturday were um, hopefully the start of being a little bit more um, aggressive at home and being a little bit more front foot football at home, fingers crossed. So, but I think it's going to, you know, we're bottom three for a reason. We're not suddenly going to go on a on a massive run. I would have thought. So, I think my expectations are in the next sort of eight to ten games, get out of this position that we're in, fingers crossed, and then try to establish ourselves. Certainly at home, I think Chip has made a great point earlier. Um, you know. They talk about what Forest fans want. I'd say probably what every sort of home fan wants is just teams to try and beat teams on their own patch. And I'd like to see a bit more of that. Less maybe worrying about what the opposition are going to do and more about what we can do. So I think, I don't like sort of setting targets, but I think realistically, this squad on paper, he says, should be too good for where we are at the moment. So I'd like to see that transition onto the pitch, uh, more sort of progressive 
football, more players in the box on crosses, all that sort of stuff. And it, it should then knit together over the course of the season. So I think realistically, if we can get to around that mid-table point and cheer a lot of fans up at home, put on some good performances, um, try and win some football games and, you know, em- embed these new players that have, that have come um, during the last sort of transfer window, I'd like to see a bit more of that and also maybe try and keep hold of Johnson and Martin. Has Johnson signed his new contract yet, Matt? I know they've been talking no. about it for a while. No. So that worries me a little bit. So uh, just just progression, Matt. Mid-table safety would suit me down to the ground. Mm. Do you think there's a good club waiting? Well, it's a good club, obviously. But you know what I mean? A well, well-streamlined, well organised club waiting to break out there, chippers, and give fans hope for the future? I was thinking about what the ambition should be, because the ambition should be to stay up um, from where they are at the moment. Win some home games would be a start. I mean, how many how many home games have Forest won since? And I don't know the answer to this question. Now, not that this has anything to do with it, but I left in February of 2020. I'd be surprised if Forest had won more than five home games since then. Mm. Mikey, you'll know better than me, Matt. Um, yeah. And it's who they're against, those wins at home as well. It's pretty, I mean, I covered well, Coventry it and Wicca well, yeah. I mean, I'm not bothered. Uh, tell me, how many? How many have they won since? Since? Oh my gosh! I think uh, QPR. I think they beat three now. Um, yeah, it probably I'm wouldn't sh- be four or five, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'm struggling yeah. after that. To be honest with you, there's not many. We could probably count them on one hand. There's none this season, obviously. Mm. Um, it tailed off massively the back end of last season. So win some home games because, you know, I, I watched the the highlights. Um, on YouTube, obviously, because I, I don't spend my time anywhere else these days. Um, but um, I watched the highlights on YouTube, and I thought, actually, it looks it looks packed. Uh, the atmosphere seemed really good. It seemed upbeat and positive. You know, that's what it should be like. You know, you should, you should go to games at home expecting to win, and obviously being disappointed if you don't. But you don't want to get into a situation where you don't expect to win your home games, which I think is where Forrest got themselves to. And Forrest have always been good at home. So that's what they need to do. They need to win some home games, get people back on back on side. And then, you know, away games aren't irrelevant, clearly, but it's what you do at home that matters. Mm. Chippers, like a pro broadcaster that you are, you segue perfectly into YouTube. So why don't you tell us... Oh, did, about... I, did I bring it up? I did... Sorry. We were looking at the clock and thought, I've got a bloody, bloody YouTube channel. <laughs> it's about my new book. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your YouTube channel then. I know Forest but fans it, have been enjoying it. What, what are you hoping to put out there? weary about it. <laughs> no, basically, I've been in, I've, I don't know if you know, but I've been in lockdown in Sydney for three months now because um, this bloody virus that won't go away, uh, but hopefully finally is going away. Um, and I kind of, I've never really looked at YouTube apart from, you know, once a week or something to see this, that or the other. And I just got really got into it and got got looking at stuff and um, I don't really go into too much detail, but there were aeroplanes on there and I was kind of watching various aeroplane trips and people going around the world on planes and all sorts of geeky stuff like that. And I suddenly, thought, I suddenly started looking at these videos and these um, aviation geeks have got like a quarter of a million people following them on on YouTube, and I started looking into it in various bits and pieces. And I started doing this blog last year. Um, there was an awful lot of work for not a great deal of reward. So um, I thought, well, let's try something different. While I've got the time, I've got the ability. Um, it's a talk, you know, 
if you wanted to start a YouTube channel, get into a niche, come up with a niche that, that you have expertise in. So I couldn't think of anything. Um, but then um, thought about Forrest and, you know, what I've done for my career. And I thought, well, if it, if it works, great. If it doesn't, I'll close it down and we'll move on and I'll have killed some time in lockdown. And that's kind of where we are at the moment, really. So, uh, but it seems to have started really well. People seem quite infused by it. I've had some good guests on, David Johnson. Um, it's been good value in the last week or so. Um, got some people lined up over the next few weeks, um, which I'm really excited about. Actually, people I've not spoken to for a, a little while. So um, I don't want to say too much because they're not in the can yet, but um, hopefully they will be over the, the next few days and we'll roll those out over the over the coming weeks. Yeah, don't do what I do on here and say, are oh, we going to be joined by X, Y and Z next week? And you get a WhatsApp a couple of days later saying, oh, I can't do yeah. it, sorry. And then no, well, I've learned my lesson, you see. I, I, you know, from trying to organise guests to come on the radio, I, I, until they're, you know, in front of you, then don't advertise the fact that they're coming up. So I won't I won't do that. But um, uh, there's the one that's in the can with um, Martin Fisher, who's um, Match of the Day commentator, but used to commentate on Forest years ago. So he's this week's guest, and he was. I'll give you a, a little bit of an exclusive there. You might not be too bothered, but there we are. Um, <laughs> uh, but he, um, as I say, commentates on Match of the Day, but commentated on Forest in Cluffy's time and Frank Clark's time. Um, he's a good guy. He's got loads of good stories about uh, covering Forest in, in those days and how different it was. So uh, that'll be out back end of this week. So, um, What's the name of it, the YouTube channel? Sport Chippers. I hope. Imaginative, huh? It took me ages to think of it, Matt. You know what it's like. What are your plans for the future before we go? Obviously, you want to, you're want you a broadcaster. You want to keep broadcasting. Is it just as commentate in Australia and whatever's yeah, going I've on? Yeah, I've kind of freelanced there? around a bit. So I've done some um, commentary on A-League games over here on the telly, which is not something I'd ever done in the UK before. Um, and some W-League, Women's League um, games over here as well for the ABC and Fox, which is um, equivalent to Sky. As you mentioned, did a commentary on the Test Match, the Sydney Test Match last year on the radio as well, which was uh, awesome, fantastic to do. Really, really enjoyed that. So, yeah, go along those those similar lines. Obviously, it's, it's difficult at the moment because there's, there's not too much live sport around because it's all being hit by lockdowns at the moment. But um, as I say, hopefully that'll lift over the next month or so and, um, and we'll move forward and get to do some more cricket and some football, which will should start in november here so yeah that's the plan Excellent. it's a very loose plan i'll listen out for you when i'm next watching a sheffield shield game <laughs> yes is it new south wales what state are you in it is new south wales so very good glad Thank you've been you. doing your research last year which was which was good it's good fun excellent excellent uh we'll leave it there for this week uh thanks very much to mikey hope you enjoyed that cheers absolute pleasure matt as always Good, 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 good. Chippers, thanks for joining us on the other side of the world. Uh, in fact, I haven't even asked what time it is. You can't do an, uh, you can't talk from Australia without asking what time it is, can you? What time is it? Uh, 8 p.m. And before you ask your next question, 23 degrees. <laughs> oh, man, it was absolutely hammering it down here this morning. The sun's out now, but I had to run down the hill to school with the kids with the umbrella. Absolute nightmare. The weather's turned, yeah. So you're not missing much there. <laughs> yeah, the weather is not something I miss generally, but... 
Yeah. No, I'm sure not. I'm sure not. Right. Uh, we shall be back uh, probably on Thursday, but um, yeah, I haven't even planned an episode for that. So uh, we might be back on Thursday after the Birmingham game. Otherwise, we'll be back uh, this time next week. So do join us then. And of course, do like and subscribe to the Premier Nottingham Forest related YouTube channel. <laughs> You've already got more subscribers than us, Chippers. And, and yours, Matt, as well. <laughs> You've already overtaken <laughs> us. This is outrageous. <laughs> Right, thanks very much everyone and Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Yeah.